Before time, before light, before life itself, they say the earth was formless, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. That darkness hovers there still, eternity whispering in the crash of the waves. Mysteries about who we are and where we come from. We suffer, we toil, we live and die, never knowing why we're born into this life. Whether it's to serve good or evil. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak from the case known as The Source, which originally aired on November 10th, 2005. We'll also be discussing the second part of the episode, which was called The Sea, and aired three months later on February 24th, 2006. The Source was directed by Stephen Schill. The Sea was directed by Ella D. Keene. Hopefully I got that name right. Both episodes were written by series creator Frank Spotnitz. Along with me is ace reporter Chris Stashu. I'm here, and 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 right now, honestly, I'm I'm wondering why we watch these episodes. The world wants to know what did you think about the source, and I'll ask it now because it's a two-parter. What did you think about the sea as well? Oh boy. So we had Richard Haddam on the last episode, and I was defending Night Stalker, the 2005 show, and. I said, well, it's not as bad as everyone says it's going to be. Yeah, no, it is as bad now. It it really has gone into a place with the plot and the story that I, I find to be really indefensible and really muddled. And on top of everything else, so bizarre that this is kind of the big, like, you know, if we're talking about another show with a mythology, like, this is the, the wrap-up of, like, the yellow-eyed demon in Supernatural. This is the wrap-up of the Mulder's sister storyline. They're doing it, like, seven episodes into the show, and the wrap-up to it is so stupid and so just... It falls so flat that it feels like, why did we even give a shit about an underlying mythology that they kind of bring up but kind of don't? Did they wrap anything up in these episodes? That's my point. Like, they're, they're trying to claim that they did. At the end of the sea, it's like, you know, Kolchak has this, you know, weighty words that don't mean anything monologue. And that's really what most of Kolchak's kind of monologuing to the camera is or narration is just like weighty words that mean nothing. And it's like, dude, you nothing happens. Like, these two episodes... Episodes, I watched them each twice, and I had no idea what the fuck was going on by the end of it. So I am curious, Mike, what did you think of The Source and The Sea? And I keep wanting to call it The Sauce and The Sea. From the sauce to the deep blue sea. Yeah, it makes me feel like a total chump. Like we keep saying like, oh yeah, no, 2005 Night Stalker, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. And there were a couple good episodes, but this is just, it's not good. It's not good at all. This is where it takes a turn. This is where the turn happens, clearly. Well, they didn't do themselves any favor, or ABC didn't do the show any favors by doing a two-parter and having the second part never air. And whoever wrote the IMDb description, oh my god, it's like... It, the, I was looking up to see if the name of the episode is The Sea or The Source Part 2, and the first thing it says is, Jane survives the killing at this Korean grocery store. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa okay, I guess that ruins any sort of, <laughs> of of suspense that I might have had. But even when we the episode starts off, it's like, 
last time on Kolchak, but it's going all the way back to the first episode. And it's like, oh yeah, don't forget, Kolchak killed his wife and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, okay, this feels like it's coming out of left field because, yeah, we've gone how many episodes now with nothing talked about? Like Five. Five episodes. Yeah, we get like a little hint of that here and there. We get like, I mean, we haven't seen the thing on his wrist since the first episode. And when he shows it to Perry in the sea and, oh, where'd you get that from? I was like, oh my God, he never showed her that? I thought for sure by now he would have showed her. (laughs) I just don't... Again, like I was saying, it's just it comes back to in my mind, this is supposed to be the underlying mythology that drives this show, that drives the Kolchak character in this show. And who cares? They don't do a very good job of making us care. So they try to psych us out with all of these red herrings that they give us. Like they introduce us to this character, Victor, in this one, and they have him coming in with this duffel bag full of money and he's there with these guys who are all speaking Spanish or you're like, okay, well, this is some sort of like a drug deal or a hostage situation or something's going on with that. And then these four bikers show up and for whatever reason, they don't show us the bikers faces for the longest time. And they don't show them, I think in like the first three attacks, they don't show these bikers faces. So I'm just like, wow, when they show these bikers faces, they're, it's going to be some shit, man. They're, they're going to be really fucked up or something's going to be going on here. They're going to look like those demons that come in and kill David and his family in, in American Werewolf in London or something. They show us the bikers and I'm just like, oh, it's like biker dudes. There's a bald guy with sunglasses and a dude with long hair. Okay, why did you not show us their faces? <laughs> what, was the, why, what, what was the point of that? I have no idea. And I didn't even realize, and you're, you're going to laugh at this, and m- maybe I'm dense. I didn't realize that those four bikers were, were a, a, supposed to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. No fault of my own, they don't really explain it. They don't even hint at it. Like, they hint that they can't be killed, but, I mean, outside of that... It would be as much of a stretch to say that uh, Leonard Smalls from Raising Arizona is the angel of death riding on a Harley motorcycle. You know, it's like you could read that if you want or you couldn't. You know, it's like it doesn't really make any difference if we call these guys the four horsemen or not because they could just be four zombies. I mean, when they start showing them being shot and not being killed, I'm just like, oh, well, this reminds me of the opening of, like, Magic Cop or or the opening of Dead Heat, you know, like using zombies to do your dirty work, you know, using golems to do your dirty work is centuries old here, so what's the big deal? And then, yeah, I mean, I guess because the one had all these skull rings on his hand, I was like, well, I guess maybe that's the angel of death. One doesn't come in and bring famine and one bring plague or anything. So it's not like they have superpowers. I mean, they did it much better on another show that you just mentioned, Supernatural, where they actually had the four horsemen represented there and they had like the power of plague, the power of death, the power of this. So, and these guys, yeah, they're interchangeable. I mean, I don't even remember two of their faces. I just remember a dude with long hair and a bald guy and that's about it. So you mentioned that there was a three-month span of time in between The Source and The Sea. The show was canceled. At the, the Source is the last episode of the show that was ever aired on ABC. The remaining episodes, a.k.a. the two-parter and the last three episodes, were on iTunes, which is insane. 
did some of them show up on sci-fi as well? Yeah, so, so some of them showed up on sci-fi, but they also showed up on iTunes. Right. And this was before iTunes was, like, really a thing. I mean, this is... Well, this is before even Netflix had streaming. Right. This is 2006. I mean, this is around the time when, like, iPhones were a new thing, and people didn't know what an app store was. People were still talking about, you know, what what is this thing called podcasts? I mean, still people say that today, but... I was about to say, what is a podcast? So, yeah, this wasn't, like people were clamoring and like knew where to get this stuff or even how to freaking download it they're probably just like what uh, what do i do now i bought it from this place they were watching it on their ipods with the scroll wheel on it that is the crazy thing about the way that this show ended up is you have the first six episodes air on abc and then it's canceled in the middle of a two-parter And the two-parter ends up being shown on iTunes, and if you were interested in this show, you feel a little gypped, I mean, to be perfectly perfectly fair. Oh, triggered. Triggered. That's a a hate word right there. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about gypsies. The Romani do not appreciate that. Wow. Okay. Um, So they Jewed them out of this. I was about to say, they Jewed them out of it. There's no good reason why the show split this up and had, I don't know, the, the, the words escape me when I think about these two episodes because they don't feel like the same story. It feels like an idea that never fully came to fruition because it's it's meant to be, like, theoretically, The Sea should have been the final episode of the show because it wraps everything up. And if you could see me right now, I'm doing quotations. But it's supposed to be the end of the story of Kolchak's wife. And, again, it's not explained. I have no idea what the hell happened. Happens, but you gotta wonder why they canceled the show halfway through even showing the cliffhanger. They should have just shown the cliffhangers, you know, the, the second episode of the C. They should have shown it and then canceled the show. Well, riddle me this, Batman. Do we ever find out who the source is? On Wikipedia, there's some what would have happened information. And Spotnitz on an audio commentary reveal on the audio commentary for the C reveals where the show would have gone. Right. Which he talked to us a little bit about. Right. In our, in our interview we had with him on the first episode of Kolchak or the Night Stalker 2005, we talked about it. So the source that Carl was talking to <sighs> was Carl Kolchak. Wow. Did you not realize that? No. It- you want there's a reason why they didn't tell you. Cause it's fucking stupid. I think they, Change the voice because he oh, says they modulated it or something. It's supposed to sound like the other actor in that episode, right? And he uses the same lines to speak to Carl and then to speak to someone else to speak to who else is he speaking to? Uh, to Victor, to the the undercover DEA agent, and it's like okay, so yeah, I in his voice kind of changes as he's talking so i guess they must have had two audio tracks and faded one out and into the other or changed the modulation or something because it's supposed to sound like bill scully jr is who it's supposed to sound like because that's by the way another exiles connection that's who that actor is who's playing the agent in the bar is scully's brother from the exiles but yeah that's who i thought it was and then looking on wikipedia it's like no no by the way that's supposed to be cold checks like oh fuck you like that this 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 is not, it's not even that creative of a twist. And on top of everything else, you haven't given me a reason to care anyways. 
they could have taken this one, these two episodes and just cut them down into one because there were a lot of times where just things were dragging. And like the character of um, Day, the uh, Korean lady, and her whole thing about her husband dying and her going to a fortune teller and, you know, you, you find this person and open your heart and blah, blah, blah. And we think it's Victor, but it's actually this dude's wife, yada, yada, yada. She could have just been gone. The whole idea of like she's this shop owner and then this mysterious friend who shows up in the second episode and is like, oh, I'm taking her to this cottage by the sea. And like it took me forever to realize why is this episode called The Sea until finally I was like, oh, yeah, it ends there. But I mean, it took a long time. I mean, but then again, you know, my my iTunes reviews tell me how dense I am about a lot of things, so I'm not surprised I didn't get it. I'm very very dense. So so here are the what else would have happened stuff that and, and again all of these things are essentially in regards to the sea and the source because the final three episodes of the show are standalones. They're monsters of the week, which sets me up to hope that maybe this was kind of the biggest stumbling block that the show had outside of Malum, which Malum, the source and the sea are are quite possibly the three worst programmed back to back to back episodes I've ever seen of a TV show in the history of TV. But so the the kind of the plot points that that would have been further explored had the show not been um, mercifully put out of its misery. The bikers that were chasing Victor Kaleka are the four horsemen, the pale rider being the biker with the long blonde hair. The mark on Carl Kolchak's wrist is the mark of evil. If the series had continued, there would have been more living people with the mark on their wrist. Kolchak would have been told the opposite, that the mark is a sign of goodness by a mysterious man later in the season, but the truth would have been told to him by the end of the season. The victim on those wrists the mark appear only after their death are in fact marked as good. Linda Kaleka and Julie Medlock would have appeared at some point in the future. During the episode The Source, Kolchak passes a sign with a pyramid on it, which they make a point of lingering on in the episode. On the commentary, Spotnitz noted that the pyramid is in fact the symbol of a group and that all the members have the symbol on their wrist. The pyramid means the opposition of good and evil. Okay, who cares? Like, so there's an underlying mythology to the underlying mythology, and Kolchak's wife dying was just a, an, was just another step in building out this mythology. But none of that even sounds interesting. And that's a shame. I mean, I would have... Re- <laughs> Here we go. I want my cake and I want to eat it too. Here we are talking about the 1974 show... You know, hey, I would have liked a little bit more consistency and had these characters build up from week to week kind of thing and actually like make references back to things that had happened before. And then in 2005, I kind of want more standalone episodes because the overlying mythology is garbage. That's the thing. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really disappointing because the thing that I, I've always wanted like you said, from Kolchak, was an underlying mythology because why is all this stuff happening to this random reporter? And we get a show with a mythology and it just, it completely just just squanders it. It squanders everything. And this is the thing, like this has really come to a head now for me with Kolchak, with the Night Stalker 20, 2005, is Stuart Townsend's not bad in this show. He seems slightly disinterested, but he's also working with what he's been given. Gabriel Union is, is pretty good. Eric Jungman... He's not given enough to do. Cotter Smith, same way. The, you know, the supporting players, Eugene Bird is Alex Nyby. We've only seen him in one episode. Ed Head, one of the better side characters we've seen. And Bernie Fain, again, not terrible. I mean, an interesting, he's given more to do in this episode. So the problem with this show really boils down to the writing. 
It's really the writing. No one in the show is given anything interesting to do. The underlying mythology just... The underlying mythology feels... It feels like they were trying to emulate better shows and they didn't have the capabilities or the wherewithal to make it as successful as the shows they were copying. Because they're aping the X-Files here. Like, really, obviously. I mean, to the point where you've got a female and a male lead that are running around together, and one is a believer and one is a skeptic. What show does that sound like? Was this hacker character, was she in previous episodes? Because she just seems to come out of nowhere. Best of my knowledge, she was not. Okay. And then all of a sudden, it's like, she's right there in the thick of things. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? Here's my friend, by the way. It's like, what? She's a super hacker. Oh, okay, great. She's in two She's in two episodes, and you've seen her, you've seen all the episodes she was in. Oh, wow. Yeah, that yeah. was just such a contrivance. Well, it's, it's unfortunate, because again, she's actually pretty good. Yeah, no, her she's not bad. interesting. And actually gave Cotter Smith something interesting to do, finally, as well. I wish the hacker had been there from the beginning, or make Jane a hacker as well as a photographer. Why not? I mean, give him something to do, man. Give him, like, yeah, he's out taking photos, but also he can dig up all this information. He's he's a, a going to be the next Kolchak. Like, in the next life, and, the, and once Kolchak is out of there, he will carry on that mantle. You know, let's have him be that guy. You know, let's have him have the skills. Instead... He's been kidnapped. He's been, you know, abused. In this one, we think he's dead. I mean, he's a damsel in distress. Oh, are we really supposed to care with that cliffhanger, though? That's the real question. Is that cliffhanger, again, that cliffhanger is really, like, falls flat. It's really not a cliffhanger, because you know they're not going to kill his character off. I want to talk about the scene where Scully's brother gets it, because that was the most tonally weird scene in this whole thing. I thought I was suddenly watching a Tarantino movie. Or a, Rodri- or a Robert Rodriguez film. Because it's the four horsemen, bikers, coming in and shooting out the place and shooting this guy. And the jukebox is playing So Groovy Now, or whatever the name of the song is. I'll have to look it up and place out of the episode with it. And it is so loud and overbearing, and it just goes on for way too long. And they don't know what to do while this is happening. They don't have enough stuff to cut to, so they just keep cutting to the actual jukebox itself and the lights on the jukebox. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? This just is stupid. This is not stylistically relevant at all. It isn't adding anything to the scene, and it just feels wrong. Yeah, I I guess, I mean, it's a stylistic choice, so it's kind of good that they were like oh we're gonna do something different but at the same time when none of the show has had anything like this up until this point it sticks out like a sore thumb reach out of the darkness by friend and lover and it's a great song it doesn't work though no yeah and it's a great song and it plays you know it'd be a good counterpoint to a scene of violence and all this kind of stuff it's got the makings of it but they just don't know what the hell to do with this. And that's unfortunate because, again, there's oh, there's so much about this show that I want to defend. But when but when we look at an episode like this, oh, it's indefensible. It's just it's just indefensible. You can't defend these two episodes. They're just bad. And this is where a lot of people, I'm sure, go when someone thinks of this show, they go, oh, yeah, the sea and the source. Those episodes are fucking awful. And it's like, yeah, they, they kind of are. They're not kind of, they are. And it's unfortunate because the other episodes outside of Malum haven't been terrible. They've actually been 
rather decent. I don't know. I, I again, I feel bad for Stuart Townsend. I feel bad for the cast of this show. I kind of feel bad for everybody because just hearing you know Spotnitz talk about the way that the studio fucks stuff up. I mean, oh, it's 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 it is. This right here is, if you want to point someone and be like, this is what happens when a studio meddles, these two episodes are like the microcosm. It's like, how do you, how do you completely mismanage the storyline, like the mythology of a show in two episodes? Like, look at, look at some of the best cliffhangers of TV shows you can think of. The ones that stand out to me personally are, I think it's season two or three of the X-Files where Mulder gets blown up in the train in Anasazi. And you've got this amazing cliffhanger where Mulder's in the train trying to escape and it gets it gets blown up. And you're like, oh shit, how is he going to get out of this? Or I'm trying to think of another show. As soon as you say best cliffhanger, the thing that immediately pops to mind is best of both worlds. Star Trek The Next Generation. Where there was actual worry that Picard may not ever come back. Or even, again, for me, more contemporary, uh, the first season of Supernatural, the way that it ends, where you have the them being in the Impala, getting T-boned, you have the trucker with the yellow eyes being taken over the yellow-eyed demon. It's like, holy shit, that's how you do a cliffhanger. This is how you hook the audience, because the whole point of a cliffhanger is to get the audience to tune in for the next season, to get them excited to watch what happens next, because undoubtedly there's been a, a, a slight falling action wrap-up at the end of the episode, unless this is the final episode of the show. And this show doesn't do a very good job of giving you a reason to tune in next week. Because, like, you know he's not going to die. And you know Kolchak ends up being in jail for so little an amount of time, it's almost played off as a joke. Yeah, they said, what, you were in there for five hours or something like that? It's like, what the fuck? And it's not even one of those things where we put Kolchak in jail and then a murder happens and they go, oh, it couldn't have been Kolchak because he's not in jail for murder. He's in jail because he won't give up his source and he won't give up his source because he doesn't know who his source is. It's so ridiculous. Mike, he didn't know who his source was because it's him. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, my God. It's Isn't so that like Dirk so Gently's holistic detective agency kind of shit? I mean, that's just, oh, man. And little did Kolchak know that he was the source. It's like, oh, God. That works for John Dies at the end. You know, it works oh, yeah. there. But this kind of stuff? Oh, uh, so when are like we... Well, the thing is, like, is there like a time travel aspect to this show? Is there an alternate dimension aspect of this show? That's what I want to know. I don't give a shit that he was the source. If we could speak to Frank Spotnitz again, I would want to ask him, how are you doing that? What is the mechanism by which Kolchak is talking to himself? Well, there's this island and there's these numbers and then you got to put the numbers in the computer... And then Dolores is there, and then there's, oh, God, and Anthony Hopkins is there talking about sentient robots. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I guarantee you I know what it was. Carl Kolchak had a fucking fraternal twin. He had a twin, and his twin was the good one, and he is the bad one. I guarantee you that's what it was. Oh, is that the mark of Cain? Yes, that's it's what this is. Oh, God. I, you know what? We just wrote this show. Because we just wrote it. That's exactly what it is. There's no way that that wasn't the case. Because this show is not like Fringe. There was not going to be an alternate universe. This show is not like Sliders or any of the other shows where they can... Or Quantum Leap or any show that uses a, a time travel mechanic, alternate universe mechanic. So it was it was Kolchak's twin. God. We should know that the mark is a mark of evil because the killers come up and they see it and they just turn around and walk away. 
it's either that or, you know, Carl has cancer and it's kind of a World War Z thing. You know, they don't attack somebody who's dying. But, yeah, that was just garbage. The Bikers reminded me of another show that I have yet to see the third season of because I liked the first season a lot and the second season I wasn't too hot on, which was uh, Preacher. And the Bikers reminded me a lot of the Saint of Killers, just these unstoppable killing machines. Again, if they had made it obvious that the bikers were intended to be the four horsemen i would have been on board 100 percent. i love stuff like that even if they had given them different colored motorcycles so we've something got anything something that ties you know i mean it's always tough for me to tell what a white horse is versus a pale horse what i don't understand is is if you're going to do that why don't you just fully commit? Don't pull this, like, really weak-ass version of the Four Horsemen. Do something interesting. Like, I get that this is supposed to be grounded in reality. I get that this is supposed to be, like, a new age, more modern take, a contemporary take on Kolchak. But that's not to say that the show hasn't done some goofy shit up until this point. It's like, if you really went outside the box and you did something stylistically interesting, I I, I mean, you might have actually saved the show. Because the show feels kind of like, if you, if you don't realize that they're the Four Horsemen, this show just feels like a really bad CSI. In spots, it really does. It feels just kind of like, you know, CSI Boise to some extent. Where it's like, this show's not getting picked back up. It's kind of a lark. It's got a little bit of an interesting spin to it. But ultimately, they never really commit to the stuff that would make the show interesting. And the Night Stalker title should have given away. The original show had vampires and boogeymen and matchy manitows. I'm saying it wrong on purpose, I know. Um, It had all this really over-the-top stuff, and that's why it's such a memorable show, is because it fully commits to how insane the stuff is in the show. And this show's like, you know what, we don't have to commit to that. Just make it about as bland as humanly possible for as many people to enjoy. The way that you even described it being, you know, CSI Boise, the way that Perry in this episode, there was a moment where she's at a crime scene and she comes over and immediately starts talking to the Korean lady, you know, just watching. And then I'm like, wait a second, she's a reporter. Like these cops should probably like kick her out of here until they actually, they have time to talk to the witnesses. It just didn't make sense the way that she was just embroiled in all of this stuff. And I was like, yeah, they're hanging out with FBI agents, but they're not FBI agents. The side plot with the Korean woman in her store, again, felt like it went nowhere because it did go nowhere. Spinning the wheels is all it felt like. They don't know if she speaks English. Sometimes she speaks English. Sometimes she doesn't speak English. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, I understand having a limited knowledge of uh, a, a different language and stuff. That's fine. But it just felt like it would either move the plot forward or not, depending on what they needed her level of English to be. And I was like, oh, this is so just wrong. And yeah, and then like the weird romance plot that's happening there. And she's got the friend at the store. She says he's just a friend. But he's got what she needs, though. I can guarantee you that. Oh, snap. That she's falling for this FBI guy or this DEA guy and then when she finds out that he's married but don't worry and then oh don't yep his wife is actually alive I mean they're constantly like trying to pull the rug out us out from under us on this but I I couldn't give a shit it's just like oh she's alive okay cool whatever hard to pull the rug out from underneath someone when the rug is nailed down to the ground when you're sleeping on the rug Chris 
or, or when the the corpse of the show is rolled up inside of the rug, essentially. Uh, explain to me what happens at the end, because I'm having a hard time understanding. So Kolchak ends up finding out nothing about his wife, and then the DEA agent's wife goes to live with the Korean woman somewhere by the sea. The titular sea, yes. Getting away from the four horsemen because of a Kabbalah bracelet. Like, I don't... Mike, I, I I cannot stress you enough. I had no idea what the hell was going on in this episode. And that is the worst thing a podcaster can say about something they watched. But I didn't understand it because it was intentionally poorly written. Or unintentionally poorly written. Yeah, there was that whole thing about Kolchak's wife was pregnant... The woman in the very first episode that we saw, she was pregnant. This lady is pregnant, but I guess now she's under this protection. But I don't know why she's under protection. Uh, Yeah, protection from what? Yeah, and how? Is it just because she's living with two Korean ladies? Are they just like, you know, are they magical? Instead of magical Negroes, they're magical Koreans? Scissor triangle, that's what it is. Oh. It's the scissor triangle. That sounds dirty. I don't know how or what mechanism she is defended against the four horsemen by. So, again, it's Kolchak's wife had the fetus ripped out and she died. Everyone thought Kolchak did it. Clearly Kolchak didn't do it. That's revealed by the end of the episode. But, again, the episode is so poorly written, edited. It felt like it went through, like, eight different writers. And, like, studio heads being like, nah, let's add this, take this out, let's do something kind of crazy. It's like, okay, can we just tell a story? A straightforward narrative, please. Because this is the most important narrative they should be telling. Because this is this is the story that wraps up the big question that was asked at the beginning of the show. And I'm going to do a Chris Sasha here, and I'm going to say, you know, these two episodes are as long as a television movie and think about how loosey-goosey and sloppy this thing is compared to our original two, Night Stalker and even Night Strangler. Those are movies. This, this is just a couple scenes strung together. And again, we're supposed to feel like at the end of the episode that there's some sort of big conclusion and oh my god, we've, we made a huge discovery. There's not. There's nothing. Nothing. We learn nothing other than maybe Kolchak didn't kill his wife, but that's it. And it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing. I was disappointed at the end of the episode because they, they play it up to be, oh, we learned some big information. Nah, not really. Not at all. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I'm going to go on a limb here and say I completely understand now why people don't like this show. And to be fair, it is bad. These three episodes have been really bad. And I'm really glad that we did these two episodes as one episode of the podcast because, oh, there's nothing to talk about. It's such a muddled mess that there's so much dumb stuff going on that is unexplained that it's just just dumb. Just really dumb. But Kolchak is the source. All right. I want to thank John Walker for providing our theme. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show and especially to the folks who have given us feedback on iTunes. We still have a long way to go before we've met the uh, Chicago challenge that Chris laid down where we do a live podcast from Chicago, you know, maybe outside of the INS headquarters, but it's still out there. Stand on like a cardboard box and do it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, everybody, gather around. Come look. We're doing a podcast. We got a little hat, pork pie hat on the ground people can flick pennies into. Boy. Excuse me, son. Are you doing a Carl Kolchak-themed podcast? Well, I happen to be Frank Spotnitz. Boy, not to drag Frank Spotnitz. He's a great guy, and he got the short end of a very long stick. (laughs) Boy.
but anyway, the challenge is still out there. People want to leave us feedback and you know leave us some iTunes reviews. That would be fantastic. I think we still have like a couple of years to go on the show, so we'll be around here. It's not going to be our final episode, even though it feels like a finale after this thing. My God, we're nearing the end of the Night Stalker 2005, which I'm 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 not even assuming. I know a portion of our listening audience will be very thankful they don't have to listen to this anymore. And I don't blame them because it is as bad as it is bad. Our next episode takes us back to John Huff and L4 Neal territory with Mr. R-I-N-G. Boy, that's going to make people mad if I just spell it out every single time. (laughs) Don't do that. I won't. I won't. Until then, Chris, what is the latest over at the Culture Cast, sir? Oh, not a whole lot. Just uh, talking about movies twice a week. Trying to deal with the fact that Movie Pass is gone. Because that's made everyone's life who does movie podcasting a lot harder. Uh, I do want to plug, however, and this is... Ooh, we're going to shill something else on this podcast. As opposed to shilling the Culture Cast, which you've heard me shill multiple times before. I do want to shill something that Mike, you and I, along with a good friend of ours, Mr. Mike Wallace from Ot5 Films, we are endeavoring ourselves to talk about a show that hasn't gotten enough love and by all accounts deserves some love. A oft-forgotten version of the Twilight Zone from the 80s, Twilight Zone 1985. Our podcast on that is called Dreams for Sale, the Twilight Zone 85 podcast. And if you want to check out that podcast, which you totally should, head on over to twilightzone85.com. I'm going to take this opportunity to plug another podcast. That podcast is the Chronicles on the Crypt podcast, where I talk Tales from the Crypt with my good buddy, Mike Wallace. We talk about two episodes of Tales from the Crypt every other week. Check that out. It's a great show. If you've never seen Tales from the Crypt, I, I, I don't know why. It's awesome, so give it a watch. Uh, the real question, however, is what are you up to, Mr. Mike White? August was a crazy month. Um, just doing way too many episodes of the projection booth um did specials on the last movie dennis hopper's film that was almost his last film because it kind of drove him out of the business uh episodes on uh the piano teacher which has you sir on that episode so that is always a good one boy that's that movie Whew, boy no crossover appeal for this, I can tell you that. No, no. People listening to uh, the Cold Jack tapes are probably going to steer clear of the piano teacher. So, yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff. And then I'm, I'm uh, getting ready for Checktember, which uh, is sure to not garner very many listeners at all. But it's my show. I'll do what I want. Now, you know what? I'm with you on that, my dude. I'm with you on that. Do what you love. And you can find that over at projection-booth.com. Life travels a crooked path. A course whose shape we cannot recognize except by looking back on it. How happiness leads to heartbreak. How a dark turn leads to peace and joy. Our purpose, like our destination, is hidden. But goodness is a refuge. A soft, warm light into which evil cannot see.